there's a verse that's been with me uh, recently. It's Zechariah 10, verse 1. And we read there in the American, New American Standard Translation, ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain. Ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain. And in a way, the verse is an encouragement to us. When God is on the move, then actually we have permission to seek him and to ask him to reign upon us as well. And I want to tell you a story which I think in a lot of ways is an illustration of that principle today. And I hope it will encourage you as you are seeking God yourself for more. Deep in the Cambrian Mountains in mid Wales, there's a small village called Abergwesin. Uh, it's just a very small scattering of sheep farms surrounding a crossing point of the river in a valley. And there's just a very few buildings around this crossing point. These days, I guess just a few dozen people live in this whole valley. Once upon a time, there was a village school here a chapel, Mariah Congregational Chapel, and not just one, but two parish churches, because the village was a centre of population for two extensive mountain parishes. And in 1841, the combined population of both these parishes was 450 people, an awful lot bigger than it is today. The Welsh poet, Ruth Bidgood, who's perhaps not very well known, she's in her late 90s now, she lived here in this village for many years. And while she lived here, she immersed herself in the history of the area. And she wrote about it in a book called Parishes of the Buzzard. It's an excellent book of local history if you're into that kind of thing, and I am. Um, and it's a very thorough and fascinating history of these twin parishes of Llanfihangel Abergwesin and Llanthewi Abergwesin, St. Michael's Abergwesin and St. David's Abergwesin. And there's a lot in this book about the early days of the Methodist revival and of the direct involvement in this place of three of the main leaders of that revival in Wales. The Bible teacher, Daniel Rowland, the apostolic Howell Harris, and the hymn writer, William Williams Pantakellin. Indeed, William Williams, probably the most famous hymn writer in Wales, actually served in these two parishes when he was a curate in the 18th century. But there's also in this same book an account of a story originally told by the Welsh preacher Rhys Gwesin Jones. And he was born in Abergwesin in 1826, but later on in life, he moved to America. He lived in the United States and he died in Utica in New York in 1901. And he wrote an autobiography written sometime in about the 1860s, I think. And in it, he described how revival had come to the village in the year 1840. And uh, Ruth Bidgood refers to his account. Now, he was a very young teenager at this time, Reese Gwesin Jones, and he was actually converted in this revival. And the story is fascinating. He knew a lot of the people who were actually involved in it. And in his account, he mentions some of them by name. Now, for a Welsh 
revival that early, it's quite unusual for us to know the identities of the people who are involved. And that just got me going when I read that. And I did some digging and I found out a little bit more about the people that he mentions by name, which is a very satisfying thing to be able to do. Well, revival had broken out elsewhere in Wales in 1840. And there was a group of men from this chapel in Aberguez, in Moriah uh, Congregational Chapel. And they were discussing what they had heard about this revival one evening after the chapel prayer meeting. Now at that time, Moriah Chapel had no regular minister of their own. They relied on visiting preachers. And that particular Sunday, I presume, they, there wasn't a minister coming to preach, so they'd had to do what normally Welsh chapels would do in that circumstance, and that was to hold a prayer meeting. Well, after the prayer meeting had finished, these men sat to get down and they had a conversation which led to them praying for revival. And we know who they were, as I say. There were, there were five of them. There was Thomas Price, a 50-year-old farmer who lived not far away from the village. There was David Morgan, who was a 35-year-old farmer, a married man with, with a family. Another one was a 25-year-old miller called Roderick Williams of Aberguez in Mill, who lived not far away from the chapel. And there were two youngsters, Thrice and Isaac Jenkins, the sons of farmer Charles Jenkins and his wife Hannah. And they were aged just 15 and 20. And they lived over the mountain in the next parish, some distance away. So they were a bit of a mixed group, 50-year-old the oldest, 15-year-old the youngest. In a sense, three generations were represented in this group of five people having this conversation. And uh, one of these five men wanted to know why it was that in their community, having heard of the fact that God was on the move, not that far away from them in Troidrudala, why it was that actually they weren't experiencing the same thing themselves. Why had they unaffected by something that was having significant impact elsewhere in Wales? And in the discussion that followed, and we know the gist of what they spoke about from Rhys Gwesin-Jones' account, there were three kind of questions that were kind of batted around between them. And one of them was this, if there is revival going on in the area and God is already visiting his people with an outpouring of his spirit, why shouldn't that also happen in Abergwesin? And another part of the discussion was this question. And if that's not an unreasonable expectation, why should it not come about through themselves, through them? And that led on to a third kind of aspect of their discussion. In fact, they said to one another, why delay? Why not press into God for an outpouring now, rather than wait until the next church meeting? And so there were three questions, and I want to kind of suggest these are helpful questions that we ought to hold on to ourselves in the context of thinking about that verse, Zechariah 10.1. The questions are these, quite simply. Why not, why not here? 
Why not us? And why not now? Even though it was already quite late and the prayer meeting itself had finished, the five men decided to stay and pray together to ask God to pour out his spirit on them there and then. And they prayed around for a, for a while. The first time they all prayed, more or less, in cold blood. And very little seemed to happen. There was no real sense of breaking through to a new level of the presence of God among them. Not deterred, they decided to pray again, one after the other. And this time they were encouraged by some sense of warmth and animation in their praying. But there was still no sense of breakthrough coming at that point into their gathering and powerfully touching their hearts. They were determined to keep going in spite of the fact that it was now getting very late and that they all had work to do the following day. And so they prayed third time. And this time, after they had prayed for a while, one after the other, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they were overwhelmed with a sense of the presence of God. They couldn't contain the immense joy they felt welling up from deep inside them. Which, and it burst out from them, one after the other, in praise to God. And they even spoke in tongues, it seems, from what we know of the account. That's, a, that's extraordinary. They continued to praise for some time together until it was long after midnight. Now, as I said earlier on, at least three of these men were married men with families. And back home, wives and maybe some of the children as well were getting a little bit anxious. Where's daddy? Why hasn't he come home from the meeting? And so <laughs> one or two of the wives decided to go and find out what had happened to their husbands. And they came to the chapel as well. And when they came into the place where they found the men praying and praising God off their heads, seemingly, they too were completely overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and joined in in the time of passionate praise, which went on long into the night. It was what an extraordinary event. Now, when the congregation of Moriah gathered again the following Sunday for their usual weekly Sunday meeting, the Holy Spirit was once again powerfully active so that the whole congregation, and here's a quote from Rhys Gwesin Jones, the whole congregation broke out in tears and praise together. The Holy Spirit had well and truly visited isolated Abaguezin, and he'd done so in response to the praying of five members of the congregation without any involvement by a minister whatsoever. Thus they continued for some days until they became aware that it was not sufficient for them simply to keep the outpouring of the grace of God to themselves. And some of them begin, began to wonder if the neighboring community over the mountain, the neighboring community of Beulah, um, had been similarly visited by the Holy Spirit. And they wondered uh, if they also needed to be brought into this amazing experience of what God was doing in the mountains of southwest Breckenshire. And so the next Sunday, the congregation of Moriah decided not to actually have a meeting themselves, but the whole chapel to cross over the mountain and visit the neighboring valley and go and see what was going on in the chapel at Beulah and to join with the congregation there as they gathered for their meeting. 
Well, when they arrived, they found a great crowd of people, both believers and seekers, meeting together in the chapel, weeping and singing together. The godless shedding tears with the godly, Rhys Gwesin Jones put it. Revival had already come to Beulah. And that evening then, after a very long day, worshipping God together, these two communities, after spending the entire day doing that, the people of Abergwesin, in the dark, crossed back over the mountain once again to go to their homes. Now, it was pitch dark by this time, and I tell you, in these mountains even today, you know, in, when it's dark, it's really dark. There's no light of any kind whatsoever. But they knew the mountain track that they were following, and uh, they were able to find their way. When they got to the top of the mountain, uh, it's called Bank Paderai, and it's still there today. There's a, an ancient tumulus, a mound on the top of the mountain, surrounded by forest today, which wouldn't have been there at this time. And it's a place where, according to local folklore, the monks from Strata Florida Abbey used to sometimes gather to pray together centuries ago. That's interesting, isn't it? And Howell Harris, the Methodist uh, apostolic preacher that I mentioned at the beginning, also refers to gatherings for prayer on that same place during the Methodist awakening of the 18th century. And so there's this prayer meeting going on. In the early hours of the morning, the whole village gathered on the top of the mountain, praising God in the darkness. The revival went on in Abergwesin for about three months for the rest of that kind of summer, autumn into the winter. And the winter, in a sense, really kind of made it more difficult for the people to fellowship together really but during that period the Sunday meetings alone were just insufficient to satisfy the people's hunger for more of God and there were gatherings each evening in the various farms about the district night after night the people would gather making lengthy journeys between these very scattered farms following poor tracks and paths in the darkness They'd gather at a farm lower down the valley for a while to pray together before moving on for a couple of hours at another farm a mile further up uh, the valley and, and, and then on to another again, praying and worshipping together until two and three o'clock in the morning. A few dispersing to their homes each time they moved on until just a hardcore was left right to the very end. They'd travel six to eight miles of an evening in the darkness across rough mountainous terrain in this way, visiting the farms round and about. And rather than being exhausted by these long nights of prayer, uh, night after night, they were invigorated by them. And they'd still get up at the usual time to undertake a long day of work in the fields or on the mountain with the flocks or in the farmhouse the next day. The whole period was characterized by constant prayer and worship going on without any sign of weariness or fatigue. That's amazing. The people seemed to thrive completely on the revival that had been prayed down by five men from Moriah, gathering together intent on experiencing the fire from heaven. Now, Gwesin Jones must have been with them during these weeks to have been able to write about what happened in the way he did. And the months of heaven on earth 
that he describes were going on in one of the most isolated and beautiful and remote parts of Wales. God can reach anywhere and everywhere. Today, well, it's still a stunningly beautiful area, but both of those parish churches in Abergwesin have been demolished. They've gone. Just the headstones in the burial grounds remain. Mariah Chapel, too, has been abandoned. But up against the chapel wall is a headstone on which you can read the name of Thomas Price, one of the five men who prayed the spirit down in Abergwesin in 1840. And I just want to leave you as I finish with just three lessons that I think I kind of learned from this experience. And there may well be others that you will draw from it yourselves as well. That first of all, revival is a renewing of delight in the Lord. That's the first one. And secondly, being proactive and pressing in is key to receiving that, whoever you are. Why not here? Why not us? Why not now? And then thirdly, the result is a renewing of community, uh, overflow to others.